Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. What, is, what is a number? What is a number one then at Burger King? That's uh, gotta be a Whopper, right? Um, no, well, it was breakfast, so I got a sausage oh. egg. Mc, or, uh, not McMuffin, Chris Sandwich. He, this MF just said a Mick something at Burger Almost said a Mick something at Burger King. Go figure. It's uh, like a Xerox situation. A something king. <laughs> yeah, I, I bought you get the cheeseburger facial tissues. King. Yeah, I've had McDonald's. I've had Burger King breakfast, but I don't like know what you don't need to. Is it to, just pretty much you know. the same? Yeah, it's also of a comparable quality. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they have they hash browns. Uh, they're fine. They're like um, they give you a bunch of like little circular ones, like the potato olays at uh, Taco John's, and I've always preferred that to like one big one. But I kind of like the quality of uh, the hash browns at McDonald's are way better. Um, hash browns, McDon- McDonald's hash browns are fucking killer. Those things the, are so great. good. The play is to find you out where there's a McDonald's and a Burger King go next ahead. to each other and get coffee from, Bur- from, from Burger King and That's a good breakfast point. from McDonald's. Uh, Burger King coffee is better. It doesn't make Quite any sense. But yeah. A lot yeah. of people don't know this. You can get basically McDonald's hash browns in the freezer aisle at your grocery store. Really? They totally just sell those in packs of like 10. And you just pop those that's, in the oven. That's bad information for me. I'm gonna balloon up. Well, you, gonna... It's. I, I feel like you're. You wouldn't. You're not gonna consume any more than you currently do, right? You're just I going mean, to. It, would be, it would be challenging for me to consume more than I already do. <laughs> but I can make you it. You like pop those on all. You can pop those on like a sandwich. You can pop those on a burger. Oh my There's god! A lot you those. Yeah, you can pop them on lots yeah. of things. But you'll be fine, Harry. You can pop them on a lot of things. I'm thinking about it now. I'm thinking Harry about all died the of heart disease I later pop them that on. year. <laughs> Thirty two. Eating too many later that fake week. McDonald's hash browns. <laughs> I can yeah. see it. it can, I can see it. There uh, are way worse ways to go. That's right? true. We covered a lot of them. We're going to cover a lot of them today. Hey, we're going to cover a lot of them today on Try Love Literal Roundtable Podcast. It is about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Find us on Twitter at Trilon Podcast. Finally, Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. I'm Jason Daphnis. Uh, my name isn't Jesus. You can find me on Twitter at NintendoFus. Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. I'm sorry if my traumatized life is an inconvenience to you and your perfect existence. I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. My name is Aaron, and uh, folks, I really want to rewatch the first scary movie right now. This this really made me want to rewatch the first scary movie. I want man, me and up. yeah, me and Drew were talking about that. It's wild that this movie is kind of a parody, but arguably, yeah. scary movie became more um, like influential in the media just by parodying a parody. It's like a real yeah. Uruburo yeah. situation. Yeah, we could get you on a technicality uh, too, because this movie before it was called what it's called yes, was so, uh, called. Yep. Scary movie. Scary movie. A, a that was like the better working title. name for it, I think, personally. But uh, if you ask the, the screenwriter, mm. uh, Ken, is it Kevin Williamson? Yes. Uh, yes. But if you ask Wes Craven, um, I guess, fuck you. Hmm. Anyway, uh, you can find me on uh, Blue Sky at RB, please.
dot you know all this oh stuff. sorry i didn't mean i cu- didn't mean to cut you off i forgot it's good it's good we'll i forgot back. about blue spot blue sky it's not like again. this is blue feeding spot? into my blue sky followers that heavily so it's just probably mm. it's probably fun mm. I, the funniest thing i've ever Our heard about blue, blue sky, sky is that kyle comment where he was like don't really like blue sky tbh just a lot of people talking about twitter <laughs> <laughs> It, I feel like that's that. like the really the final nail in the coffin, like really got their ass. I like it. Wow, what just happened? Jason's <laughs> muted. I don't oh. think he realizes he's muted. Jason, go ahead. I was trying so hard to get my screen back. I bumped one cable on my computer and now I've got nothing but static. But I appreciate everybody for hanging around with us here on Trilove. We're going to be talking about a film that is playing as part of the Nightmarish 90s series at the Trilon. Check it out at trilon.org and at showing, excuse me, links uh, to those showings of those movies in the show notes. Before we get to a discussion of the larger series, if we ever do, I'm going to let Aaron take it away with the patented Aaron Grossman summary. Yes, indeed, folks. Yes, indeed, folks. We're talking about Scream, Scream, Scream. We're talking about Scream, 1996 movie directed by Wes Craven, uh, the master of horror himself. Uh, the film follows a number of teenagers in the small California town of Woodsboro, uh, where a serial killer uh, has been hacking and slashing his way through members of the local student body at the high school. Uh, the film specifically centers on Sidney Prescott, played by Eve Campbell, um, who is especially disturbed by the murders as it is the one year anniversary of her mother's murder or almost it's like a day before, um, which kind of took place in a similar, similar ish fashion. Is that how you pronounce? I don't. How do you pronounce her first name? I thought it was Nev, Nev right? Isn't it Nev? I've always heard it Nev. Like I think it's okay. I think it's Nev. That's okay. All we're right, figuring Nev it out. Sorry, sorry. My bad. It, it, no, it's a you know it's a tough ask. We always make you say all the actors' names before any of us, so you're sort of the uh, scapegoat in case Good, any of us. Gonna be honest. Uh, if it's an American film with a bunch of American actors, I do not look up to see if I know how to pronounce <laughs> their names. So, well, we just kind of wing it. Anyway, look, uh, that's that's kind of all we need the plot summary, right? We don't we'll, we'll touch on it. We don't need more I feel than like that. I will say, it's Scream, right? You've seen Scream. It's scream. Person listening to uh, this <laughs> in Screams, Skeet Ulrich, great name. Uh, Sydney's boyfriend Billy Loomis, Rose McGowan as Tatum Riley, Sydney's best friend. Uh, pod favorite actor Matthew Lillard as Stu Mocker, that I, whose Whoa. name Stomacher. Yep. That's a pun, right? That's a thing. Yeah. Uh, Courtney Cox as journalist Gail Weathers, David Arquette as deputy sheriff Dewey Riley. Um, also importantly, Drew Barrymore as a, in a highly, I think, influential uh, roles. Casey Becker, who's the kind of the teenage girl who gets fucking owned in the film's opening scene. Uh, also important to mention, Roger L. Jackson does the voice of a ghost face in the film. Uh, Scream was a massive success commercially uh, as well as critically. Um, it has often been considered the film or like one of the films that kind of helped to revive the horror genre in the mid 90s after a, a pretty kind of dark period of, you know, pretty bad sequels and spinoffs and, and whatnot. Um, Scream itself obviously spawned about a million different pieces, uh, you know, of, of sequels and associated media. And there was a TV show and all that. So, um, yeah, uh, Scream Scream's a big deal. I assume everybody kind of is familiar with it. Uh, that's my summary, Jason. Take yeah. it away. It's, it's sort of like, uh, like you said, Harry, you've seen Scream, right? Where it's like, um, I had never seen Scream until this point, but I f- still feel like I had seen it, kind of. You know what I mean? It's one of those movies you almost absorb yeah. via you, cultural you can, osmosis. You can learn probably like three things about this movie with varying degrees of spoilerability, and you probably know it 
in in like my cultural osmosis alone uh, my entry point to this movie was in film class in college the one that i took uh the professor taught it as excuse me the opening scene with drew barrymore as an example of like screenplay to screen uh and that was all that i saw of it before going back to it a few years later um but it was i guess point so of you note, saw this in high school uh no college did i say high school did he say i did high go school? to college i don't know Okay, even in college. college, this seems like kind of a. I guess we're all fucking adults in college, right? But I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think I. It was less than twenty years you old. You don't by think then. a lot this of high schoolers saw this movie? It's about high school students. Not, not, not as part of a high school media class. Oh as, yeah, as, what, as part that's of a class I, no. that's what I mistakenly. That would have like, been pretty. Yeah. Kind of there's, a lot, there's, there's a lot of guts in this movie. Then I, yeah, <laughs> I like that we both went right there, Jason. That's kind of what what uh, cuts it off, right? Is there's a lot of guts. Also, the entire movie is about a dude trying to have sex with a girl, so. That might sort of cut it off from a high school's perspective. That made it a little harder to, yeah, harder to justify as part of the Common Core curriculum. Um, but I guess it was like with that as as my baseline. There is, I think it's an interesting case study for this. I don't know if everybody, anybody else feels this way because we haven't discussed it yet. But I feel like this movie is an interesting case study in like a movie where we've said before, what do you say about X? Who even like Lawrence of Arabia was one of those where we're like, what do you even say about Lawrence of Arabia? It's been talked about for 50, 60 years or whatever. But for this movie, for me, it's it's one of those like I think it might be a little too like well understood if there was anything like really, really subversive or underneath the surface there to really get in the beginning. I think maybe it's been for me at least understood or play, not that I've it's like, a, come a bit of a it, victim again. of its own success, right? In in ways like I've never seen any of the sequels. Cody was mentioning uh, at least the, the sequel to this and how it like keeps going with that cheeky third wall breaking thing that keeps going as the series progresses with varying degrees of success, I'm sure. But it's like I in this rewatch, this was probably my second, I think my second time watching the movie in full. I watched it at home. Uh, it's like truly not that scary, but there's a good reason for that. It's like the characters really aren't all that incredibly deep in my estimation, but there's a reason for that. And that's okay. Um, the references to movie stuff and the third wall breaking stuff are very, very, very on the nose, but it's okay because that's kind of the point of the movie. And it's like, once those few pieces of the movie have like turned in your mind, once that wheel has turned, then it's like, I am not really sure how much there is to unpack or uncover. There's a certain queer reading that a lot of people have assigned to the movie. I think that's totally valid to speak of. There's a lot of conversation. I'm sure to spill out of that. I'm not the person to penetrate that conversation, but I would love to see where our conversation goes from here because I, I'm building from like a, I'm familiar with it. I'm at hundred percent like understanding of what I actually saw. I think would love to know what everybody else is thinking. Uh, I'll say as I think probably the, I would say I probably watched the least of amount of horror uh, of anybody. I'm, I'm not a horror guy. I'm certainly not like a slasher guy. Um, I will say this is my first time watching this film. Uh, but kind of having, a, I think, a similar relationship that a lot of people had where I, I you know, I, I am like aware of, you know, I was aware of this film. I saw the scary movie films uh, growing up. Um, I was familiar with it. I didn't know what the plot twist was, but I knew there was like a really good one uh, in this film. So that was kind of something that I was looking out for. Um, but I think for like a first watch for me, I think this film is like kind of a masterpiece. Like it's I really, think this really film is like good. Yeah. It's incredibly good. Um, I think that, that there are like kind of two small issues that I have with it that I think like the climax could use 10 minutes cut out. And then I think the title drop of the film should have been after the opening scene. I think that like it is so obvious there should have been a cold open to this film and then the title drop after fucking Drew Barrymore is fucking strung up. And the fact that that's such like a small thing, but the fact that that is not how that works is very annoying to me for some reason that I, I it just like really pisses me off. 
I, I have to imagine that was even like in, intended or I, I assume some suit somewhere fucked with that. Right. And it was like, oh, we need the total god first. But very annoying. Other than that, I think this is like kind of a, a perfect movie. Um, and, and you know, um, I, I think that there is something interesting about like Wes Craven being the guy making this film because um, you, you don't get in my mind, like you really don't have too many examples of classic directors in like a genre space, like coming back, not like coming back because he had like continued making films, maybe not exactly similar to some of his older films, but like kind of adjacent um, before this. But like, to me, this is like kind of just like a master of the genre, like coming in, doing a film that's like similar to some of his older films, but definitely like tonally uh, and like vibe wise, just like very distinct from those earlier films. Um, And just kind of like knocking it out of the park in a way that like, I think he and maybe like maybe two or three other people kind of could have, um, it feels very much like, you know, Clint Eastwood, like returning to Westerns or like to make unforgiven Fury yeah. road or something. Yeah. It, it, it feels like I, we don't get that opportunity much. Like there are a lot of really great directors who made a lot of really great horror films and science fiction films and, and Westerns and all of that, that like, you know, had like, five or 10 great years and then they kind of peter out and they continue making some films later in their career, but like whatever. Right. Um, and I think that like Wes Craven just fucking comes back and just like really kills maybe it the in a best way of that, his career. Right. And, and also it's like, it's specifically maybe? because like um, it, it's like the, the dude who codified these tropes coming back to make fun of the tropes too specifically. Right. And like kind of in the process, proving yes. how well he understood it. Uh, it, it kind of elevates his previous movies almost in, in a, in a way that is like smarter. This is like a big rabbit hole. I could go down. But I think with like with the genre fiction in general, I think that there's like a big problem of like people stepping in and doing this kind of satirical parody kind of shit and just like not doing it well and it coming off kind of like patronizing. And I think that there is like a very clear difference between that stuff which we see so much and someone like Wes Craven who like gets all of that stuff knows horror helped like cement like various different subgenres over the years like him coming back and then like yes like kind of laughing at a lot of that stuff but like using that kind of like meta commentary to like make something that kind of surpasses it um is like I think it is incredible. I was just like watching this film, just like just kind of in awe of of what was happening from the very first this? scene, which is like perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Anyway, I'll stop gushing about it. But like, I think it's a I think it's a great movie. Uh, yeah, I think I also do. I this is was not my first time watching Scream. I, I've revisited it every so often uh, over the like last couple of years. I think when was it 2019 it must have been because I, I know I, like this is a dumb way to a dumb metric but like when you get letterbox and start logging stuff i know i watched this sat down and watched this for the first time um in like my capital l capital e letterboxed era but like before that as it's already been uh kind of you know articulated by y'all this very much exists in i sort of equate it to princess bride wherein like i knew that movie existed i knew a lot about the movie from uh just like catching clips of reruns on it this is a big like it had a lot of cable tv playback like that and and scream 
And like, I, I was generally aware of the flow of this movie, um, just without having sat down and watched it all the way through until like relatively, you know, recently, uh, in my life. And I think I came in wanting to be a little more critical of it, but with each rewatch, I'm finding more and more to like, uh, like this time around really landing positively. I'm like the, the confident soft boy energy that David Arquette brings to this. Uh, I really found myself enjoying the, um, weird sort of point culminating where like this, this kind of semi-random friend group. I mean, obviously, you know, they're linked in very obvious ways, but just like all of these dudes screaming Sid's name, at, like as the climax ramps up, just like peppering in some like really tense, uh, heightened good moments uh, amongst all that. Um, but ultimately this is something of, you know, like it, it's comfort foodie and it's like a genuinely, I think, really great movie. Uh, and the, I guess one thing I'm curious about that I also found myself thinking about this time around and whether you know we whether y'all comment on this specifically or not it, it's something that I, I thought was kind of fascinating but the the like meta genre commentary i didn't maybe it's because i've started tuning it out but i didn't really think about it that much while watching this or it wasn't as pervasive uh as i necessarily thought it was uh, again like maybe my natural inclination to tune out jamie kennedy uh, over the course of my life maybe that played into this and a lot of that sort of stuff came from his uh film fanatic type of uh character but um and this was something that i was talking about a little bit before we were recording i think the the and i think jason spoke about it as well but the the sequels <laughs> there there are some jabs at like sequel uh, you know horror sequels in this type of movie and then they go on and make the sequel so they have to add you have to add more uh context or you know it you know re- self-referential jabs at oneself for validating oh like well we made a sequel and like that in itself is a joke but also here's our earnest horror comedy sequel um and so there's I don't know. I feel like it, it gets more expansive from, from there comparatively. I, I didn't feel myself like lingering upon all of that sort of stuff as much in this movie. Um, not necessarily a good or bad thing. Maybe, uh, y'all's ex- experience with that is different, Aaron, especially with this being your first time watching it. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, to see how that landed, but those are the sorts of things that I'm kicking around. Uh, I really like this movie. I, I'll come back and revisit it. Maybe not like every, um, autumnal season, uh, but you know, every so often I'll, I'll definitely circle back to this because it, it's such a fun watch. Yeah, I, I think like specifically in regard to the topic of, you know, kind of the the kind of meta stuff, kind of the inward focusing com, uh, commentary on like the genre, the references to like classic horror and kind of slasher tropes and whatnot. Um, I, I definitely saw, I mean, there's like a, a million of them. Um, there's some that I didn't care. There's like the, the, the janitors, you know, a reference to Freddy Krueger, I guess, um, which I guess is understandable. I thought that was pretty cheesy, actually. <laughs> That was I like one like of the few that the I really didn't like. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's you know. It's a fun I, I like thing. how overstated um, that was. Craven, yeah, I mean, he's got to do it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, but he but mentions I, that movie by name in the first scene of this movie, so it's sort of like, oh, true. Do, you, do you get it? It's like I don't know. Do what are the true. other? I I think that like that that stuff is like, and I'm sure we're gonna get into like what this is saying because. I think that like there is, you know, an argument you could make that I guess I'll, I'll lay out that like this film a- as a movie that is kind of, you know, uh, a meta commentary on slashers as like uh, a genre is in in specifically uses the slasher films as like concrete elements of the plot that like kind of reflect on these characters and the characters talk about it and they change how they act in certain circumstances based on that. I think like you could make the argument that like, this film is about a generation of children growing up 
This um, is exactly where I was going. Horror yeah. film. Well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking do a U-turn in just a second. But like, yeah, you could say that this film is about uh, you know, kids growing up with horror films and that media environment kind of shaping um, you know, how they interact with each other when they grow up at an age when they start noticing this kind of violence in the world. And like, I think all of that is like true and I will we'll talk about it, I'm sure, once I pass it off to Harry here. But I think like even more than all of that, I think that like those elements in the film apart from like what they're like saying, I think like mechanically are so satisfying in the moment, um, which is I think like why they work here when they don't work. in like a lot of the other kind of, you know, slasher parody esque films um, is that like a lot of that stuff is like, yes, commentary, but a lot of it is like just really solid, efficient, like kind of set up and pay off from like a, just like a script, just like mechanical standpoint. Um, I think like, you know, the use of Halloween playing on the TV uh, at the end of this film is like, you know, again, it's absolutely saying something, but it also like is like such an obvious like setup for all of the events that come right at the end of the film. Um, I think like the way that like the fucking the news camera van has like a 30 second delay for, from like the, the events good. that are unfolding yeah. inside the house, like all that like little stuff that is like, you know, a nod and like an homage to all these kind of classic horror films um, work mechanically so well that it's like, you know, it's like saying stuff, but it's also just like a treat to watch it unfold, which is where I think like someone like Wes Craven, who is a like very good, good director um, kind of elevates this material in in a way that's like beyond just some sort of like, I don't know, semi like academic understanding of of the material and like horror as a genre. It like it just makes it work when it, it doesn't work in other films that try and do the same thing, I guess. Yeah, I think specifically the thing that those movies kind of get wrong, uh, if I may, is that um, I don't think that this movie is trying to make you feel like you're smart. Or trying to make you feel like you can figure it out. Like, I I really hate in, like, scream homages when they kind of become, like, this weird sort of, like, pseudo-Sherlock Holmes story where the point almost becomes, like, hey, can you figure out who the killer is? Can you, like, figure out what's happening before the characters do? It, it's like... There's sort of, like, masturbatory for the audience where it's sort of, like, the point is, like oh, do you recognize these tropes? Like, I, you're so smart, right? Do you like like what I'm doing here, right? I feel like a bunch of the post-Scream kind of did that, whereas Scream is using the tropes themselves to sort of, like, tell the story, right? It's just a great horror movie. It's just doing... And it, it if anything, um, the, the tropes, even more than the sort of mechanical effect that they have, they are character... Um, deepeners, right? They they serve to round out the characters and the characterization. And yes, I think that thematically it comes into play as well, right? Like I do read this movie as sort of a and I agree, yeah, uh, yeah it's a it's and it makes it so perfect and brilliant that it's Wes Craven, right? Because it's like Wes Craven made a bunch of those seminal horror movies, and this is him sort of reflecting on what they may or may not have done to the generation that followed, right? That that how they've sort of helped shape in whatever way they have uh, reality as we know it now, right? It's sort of like how when reality TV started happening, reality started feeling like TV. It's sort of like that, but but for horror movies, right? Where it's like, um, what like what happens? Like, how do you make a scary movie for people who know all the tropes? How do you make a scary movie for people whose lives are like a scary movie, right? And I think that like 
I, I really like this movie because not not because like it's speaking to me as somebody who understands movies, but because I think the characters kind of remind me of like my friends in high school where we were all a bunch of media upset dipshits and like these were the only kind of conversations we could have is like sitting around talking about horror movies and talking about like video games and movies and stuff and i like i legitimately think that that serves to round out the characters in a really compelling way and also it makes what happens this sort of like really interesting commentary on on you know it's like hey how do like how does media help shape how teenagers understand themselves right uh there's the great line about how like movies don't make psychos they make psychos more creative that was my backup for the the opening line and there's a lot of stuff like that in this right where it's just sort of like i don't think that the point of this movie the way that it's the the point of a lot of like follow-up movies is to sort of like have you identify the the callbacks and references so you can feel good i think it stands on its own as a good horror movie that just happens to use all of those things right and i think that's kind of something that maybe gets lost in translation in a lot of the emulators so um this was my first time watching the movie too um aaron and i was really surprised and i think that i i was planning to not be into the trope stuff and like the the way that everybody is constantly calling out what's happening it may be great graded on me once or twice um but for the most part i was really surprised by how much i really liked it actually and thought it was really clever and fun and and again i i think it's just because it's like as opposed to taking you out of um the very specific world that they um put you in they can sort of paint the fourth wall without uh without taking you out of the experience because of the way that they're using it. And I really like that. I didn't find the references and meta commentary like grating, so to speak. I just don't know that I found it much of a sweetener to the actual plot. Like it, it's there, it's visible. It's like one of the main reasons the movie exists, it seems, is to sort of call back. I believe um, I want to say Kevin Williamson, but I'm not exactly sure about the name of there. The uh, writer of this movie, um, I believe like that, that was one of his uh, specific points. Hey, Harper dog has joined the room um but i and i feel like like those are i enjoy that those create like this feeling harry you were talking about it how um it doesn't really uh like it doesn't run the risk of the the masturbatory for, like ex- letting you figure things out having a, a mystery that you know the 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 the, what, that the viewer gets to unpackage more that there is a guiding I don't know, a comforting voice, so to speak, between this writing and the directing that says, listen, everything here is contextual. Everything here has been in horror movies before every like it, it sort of builds this comfortable niche of uh, of a narrative that like reminds you it's kind of all under control that, you know, every death is contextualized. Most of what's on, you know, when it's on screen, it's the actual death, excuse me, the actual deaths happen on screen usually. And sort of the contextualization of them, somebody finding out that somebody has died can happens completely off screen and is more or less throwaway. Like we have built the blocks. Now the, uh, the first girl is dead. The um, principal is dead. Uh, we, we have these mounting bodies that people uh, sort of uh, uh, that are accumulating and that um, people cumulatively like, uh, except as the way that the movie is is moving and, and you sort of just like I, again I'm, I guess I'm very very clumsily stating that I appreciate how it uses the tropes of of horror uh, films to like comment like Harry you were saying uh, how to comment on how horror movies have changed the way people watch horror movies and and the way that they interpret those uh, signals etc I don't know that that is like that Maybe it might just be the benefit of hindsight of, you know, this movie is almost 30 years old. Uh, I don't think that 
like sticks out to me as a, a huge like this is great and rewatchable and really enjoyable and like it really it's smart and it thinks on its feet kind of thing i think it just it feels in ways i, I find it interesting harry that you felt like it was a character deepener the way that the characters uh, leverage or respond to a lot of these tropes because i think it kind of feels like it might cheapen the characters in a way like it's shorthand for jamie jamie kennedy's whole character or a lot of the motivations that end up uh, playing out toward the end are like pinned on tropes that these characters have seen before and Matthew Lillard's whole character, which is a whole different discussion, I'm sure, but uh, references probably most heavily as direct motivation or direct influence uh, horror movies. I, I feel like it's fun and cute. I don't know that it adds a whole lot of like weight or importance to it to me. But again, I think I'm probably just speaking from 2023 brain rather than, uh, you know, realizing what this movie must have done at the time contemporaneously and specifically the context that Harry, excuse me, that Aaron was giving for Wes Craven being somebody who like contributed to a lot of the fatigue that folks had with the horror. Yeah, genre I mean, he literally directed Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, exactly. Like the fact that he did that. Awesome. Cool. It feels like a checkbox to me. It does not feel like this makes it a really cool, important movie. Again, I think I'm only looking at it with hindsight and I don't know if I can see it from the from the same exact perspective. Um, I should say, like, again, by craft alone, there's a reason, like I said, that this that the intro scene was taught as an example of screenplay to screen. Uh, it really does move like incredibly well. It's incredibly watchable. I just when I'm done with it, I think that was a cute twist. That was fun. Uh, he, like this, now I understand why everybody wears ghost face masks in at Halloween, I guess I, I, I'm ambivalent on the whole like enterprise of it. Uh, the like main reason for existing, I cannot assail its actual, like the way that it moves and the way that it was filmed, the way that it was made. Amen. Uh, yeah, I, I find myself in that. I, not to say that everybody necessarily goes through this this loop. I definitely felt myself going through it where I was warm and open to the idea of a movie like Scream when I first got a sense of like, okay, this is what this movie is doing. And then watching it being, feeling myself again, being a little overly critical of like the, the to use Jason's term cute, which oof, very indicting when, when Jason busts out the cute, you know, it's oof, oof, friggin' the sauce. But no, it's it, like, I definitely, some of that stuff felt especially grating to me. And then it, I guess that was sort of my big concern about it as well. Looking at it with 2023 brain and being a part of uh, a different um, sort of zeitgeist where a, a lot, everything is self-referential. Uh, everything is up its own ass in such a more like conscious way. I've seen community multiple times through. I'm never going to go back and watch a movie like scream the same ever again. Like <laughs> you it's make just, a very, it's not very good me. point. Yeah. Right. And so like coming back to it and like wanting, finding myself wanting to get different things out, out of it and finding myself able to, to, to do so. Um, I think it's less of me maybe kind of, I don't know, coming back to my initial concern, I think it was less of me tuning that stuff out and maybe this time around just finding, uh, new good ways for uh, new and good ways in which this movie, I rather kind of melded that together with like, we, we want to, uh, imbue these, um, you know, this sort of commentary while also creating something that's like, even if not like truly horrific, um, you know, I don't know. And I, I guess my initial segue was going to be like the opening sequence and how it takes those and sort of informs the vibe it's going for up front. Um, if, if, if we're okay with that. So yeah, just like cherry picking examples from the opening, which I think in retrospect, that's a pretty good tone for at least what, you know, what Wes Craven is, is trying to accomplish. It's, you know, it, it, the opening sequence and even beyond then as well, using the same sort of um, musical 
cues and like uh, a camera work to prime the audience for a potential jump scare. You know, a character opens the door. Is the is the scary monster going to be behind the door when they close it, or are they going to be in the closet? The, the it's a slow sort of rever- reverberating, you know, uh, musical. You kind of backdrop to everything that's going on. You get Dutch angles all throughout the movie. Um, I think there are a few in the opening as well. Again, they, they throwing a lot at the wall up front to really draw you in, including that sort of stunt casting, which like, uh, or I don't know about stunt casting, but like a, a kind of a wild casting uh, decision to, to bring Drew Barrymore into that uh, and her performance being earnest over the top, uh, you know, selling it every, I mean, everybody's selling it throughout the movie as well, but like Drew Barrymore, especially for that like 10, 12 minute window, communicating a, like a, a very specific again like earnest horror vibe on top of you know she'll she'll say she'll get to to the heart of what you know all other sort of i guess like b horror movies all but say but don't actually say it you know my boyfriend is big and he plays football and he'll kick the shit out of you <laughs> like a uh, very like not like, i don't know sort of i don't want to say lack of self seriousness but again just like throwing these little sort of um nuggets in ghostface takes damage when ghostface gets hit <laughs> he you dude he gets his ass movie, kicked constantly you, <laughs> he, you, you can hear grunting he he falls down yeah with, with every oh. hit that is yeah <laughs> just like ghostface.mp3 maybe we'll add that to or mp yeah maybe we'll add that to the soundboard we hopefully won't um <laughs> it's pretty close to that. It's not <laughs> Holy shit. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just I, my neurons are firing right now. I, I'm curious to hear what other people have to have to say about that. But I just it, the more I think about it, the the more I'm glad that the opening is such a, a spectacle and like worthy of you know reevaluation. In, uh, you know, college level courses. Um, you know, text to screen uh, type. But I, I think formally, it's it's like a, a really successful kickoff for a movie that is um, something of a big swing. Uh, and yeah, I don't know if the opening encapsulates that uh, super well. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just say quick. I, I, I agree. I think like the opening is, is, I mean, I think easily the best part of the movie, right? I think that like, um, you know, uh, Wikipedia said that they had like definitely thought of like Psycho as like a reference point, right? Where like you get the biggest star that's in the movie. Drew, Drew Barrymore at that time was like huge, huge uh, to the point where like getting her for this movie is like, kind of absurd actually there was some kind of rumors that like she may have she like maybe was going to do the movie and then wanted to like drop out but then kind of uh uh, you know stayed to do uh that character specifically to kind of not burn any bridges right i think like you know how much of that is true or not i don't know but i think that like it kind of worked out like the perfect manner right like the just the you know killing the biggest star in the entire movie uh 10 minutes in with the the best scene that kicks the whole thing off. Um, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's really excellent. Right. And it's like, you know, I, I was kind of harping on this earlier, but it's like, it's really Wes Craven just fucking doing what he does in, uh, in a way that's, it kind of feels like him just flexing a little bit. Right. Like the, the phone calls, the kind of self-aware uh, film trivia, um, the jump scares that like aren't scary, but I think are still like effective uh, mm-hmm, in how they mm-hmm. work in the film. The way that like her parents come home right as she's like being dragged, you know, across it's, the the. It's the very lawn. Fu- it's very funny that like he made a bunch of movies that everybody ended up like not liking too well and contributed with like the death of an entire genre. And then he's like, with my next one, doing a victory lap, opening it with my own victory lap. That's for, right. Like, All this shit you hated, now you love it. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, it's it's great. And also, like, you know, again, like, tonally, I think 
diff like he some of his movies were satirical i mean right before this he did vampire in brooklyn which was you know an eddie murphy vehicle that, that he's kind of always flopped. walked that line he yes yes uh even some of his early film like oh, yeah. uh, last house so. on the left was like a, a film that like is like exceedingly gruesome and cruel and like brutal but also like meant to be funny that that's like you know it's known for like cutting and part of the reason it was seen as so disturbing is because it cuts between like kind of you know fun scenes and then scenes of like extremely like graphic you know torture and whatnot um and then like cuts back um and so he's always like flirted with humor in that manner i think that he understands that humor is like a necessary like I don't like dramatic component of, of horror in a very weird way. I think it's like, it's kind of something like, I think like the saw movies kind of get as well. Right. That there is yeah, like it's catharsis, there, right. It's about breaking through that yes. sort of, yeah. There, there's something to be said for like making horror enjoyable, which is, I think the the that's like the thing that he often got attacked for. Right. Was he was, he was making horror films that were very dark and disturbing but he also made them fun. And I think that like, once you've done that, that is going to piss off a lot of people, maybe semi understandably so. Right. Um, but I think this is like, just like another, another notch up in that regard uh, and done even more well than he had previously, I think. Yeah. Probably because it's like genuinely subversive, right? It's, it's sort of like, Oh, if you treat like, if you treat this with the appropriate gravity, uh, these terrible things that are happening, then then you understand what you're in for. But if you make fun of somebody's pain and suffering, then all of a sudden it, it feels sick, right? It feels like the oh, the person who made this must be sick. Um, I to to sort of speak to the character deepener. I guess I I don't necessarily mean the individual characters themselves so much as sort of I really like how um the I think that the the meta commentary here fits with the idea of a meta commentary on Wes Craven's career and also what the movie itself is doing so well because I think like it is also doing this sort of genuinely subversive thing where this is basically a movie about generational moral panic right it's it's a movie about um like older people seeing younger people growing up with things like horror movies and wondering what that's doing to them. Um, and in the great tradition that like, as the movie itself calls out, like all of horror, mo horror is conservative, right? Like they talk about the rules and it's about how you can't have sex. You can't drink and do drugs because you'll be, sinners will be punished um this movie is like very openly having fun with that right again with the idea that like hey like what if all of these people are watching horror movies until they become killers because like that is a real thing it was a real sort of moral panic at the time scream is sort of like having its fun with that and suggesting like you know uh skeet aldrich's character skeet Ulrich? Uh, Skeet's character says um, that it's all one big movie, right? They, they talk about how they don't have motives. They just wanted to be like killers. Um, I really like that on two different levels, right? I like it, one, on the sort of uh, parody moral panic, this idea that, like, what if you were right about everything in the worst possible way? What if these these characters are fully through the looking glass in this postmodern way where, like, they think they're characters in a movie because they are characters in a movie. Ooh, like, scary. What if reality has become a movie? Very metal you're solid too um but i also like it legitimately be and i this is one thing that i think that um as a commentary on horror works really really well in this movie is that i kind of think this is a fantastic movie about teen coming of age in some ways like i really like that nev campbell for instance is really afraid 
to confront her mom's legacy. She's really afraid to sort of like uh, think about like how her mom was maybe not the perfect person she thought she was. Um, she does. She keeps saying she doesn't want to be the bad seed. So it's a great foil that that Skeet's character is all about wanting to become the bad seed, sort of embracing his psychopathy um, based on his his own motives. And I think that like I really like this movie as a commentary on like. You know, like these kids are these kids are watching movies and they're trying to figure things out about themselves. And we're living in a uh, an era now in the 90s when this movie was made where like one of the main paths towards self-discovery is media consumption. Right. And like, so what does it mean that we're all obsessed with murder? What does it mean that we're all obsessed with true crime and with horror movie tropes and slashers and stuff? And like, is that bad? Does it is that you know, is that going to make us into something wrong? Is it going to um, like twist us in some way? And I, I think that the movie has a lot of fun playing with the idea that it will before ultimately kind of arriving at a really affirming part, right? Which is that Nev Campbell sort of takes control of her own life and says, well, in my movie, I am the final girl who survives and who kills the monster. Um, and that sort of like becomes this this affirming commentary about how like, you know, Horror movies aren't making psychos. In fact, like you can uh, use them to discover yourself and understand yourself better in really positive, productive ways as well. Um, and I think that horror has always sort of been about that, right? Like whenever you talk to people about why they love horror, they say, well, like it's cathartic, right? It it sort of like validates my emotions and gives me a way to feel this fear and this anger and this angst in um productive and safe ways. And I feel like this is a movie that is really, really deeply interested in like how kids use horror movies to grow up. Right. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. And I think it's a really good place for a horror movie to go. I think like it also, like those elements also work because they, they don't feel like bitter in a way that like, I think a lot of, you know, films similar to this, like directors specifically and like, you know, the, the more like genre films, like specifically like violent or like transgressive ones, like kind of commenting on their own genre or their own genres and their own films and whatnot. I think that like a lot of those films can often feel like very bitter or like, you know, on attack on critics or something like that. I think that the, this film is like totally distinct from that. And that like, you know, we see like two adults in this movie, right? Um, we see like the main character's father for like a very small amount of time. There's a principal at the high school and there's Henry probably Lincoln. one or two. It, it, yes. Which did you, I didn't. Okay. Is this, this may be a cultural gap for, I didn't, he's the Fonz. I didn't yeah. know, he was the Fonz. I didn't oh. know he was the Fonz. Well, he has the whole scene where he's checking himself out in the mirror. He didn't think that that was like a reference. That made a lot more sense. (laughs) You know, I I did just look, knew the the Fonz, aware of the Fonz, did not know that he was the Fonz. I'm sure Uh, that Henry Winkler himself would appreciate that because I feel like he's sort of been known for that role, but he's done a lot of other cool things. He he was great in Barry. No, he's not. He's still alive. Still kicking it. Okay. Good for him. He, yes. He, uh, when he showed up, I was like, damn, I always like that guy. And then go on and Google it and he's the Fonz. But, uh, look, I think that like, there aren't that many parents in the movie. This is a movie about like teens growing up in this environment, but it's also like a movie about teens doing that. It's not a movie about adults, like overly moralizing. I think there are bits of that specifically around, um, you know, uh, uh, Sydney's father and whatnot. But, I think for the most part, this is like 
about teens reacting to their environment. And so it, it does not feel like bogged down, you know, in kind of the, the kind of petty shit that a lot of directors like Wes Craven and Wes Craven at other points in his career kind of get bogged down. Yeah, it's kind of wild that he made a movie that was so... <laughs> so wildly uninterested in being a direct response, right? And in fact, is having so much more fun with that because he has been guilty of that elsewhere in his career, making things that are like weirdly bitter sort of like personal stabs at uh, critics and criticism. (laughs) I like the idea that we'll say the filmmaker, we'll we'll say Wes Craven, but really they're just like the people involved in making this movie were less like, as Harry says, not like uh, moralizing, not uh, not like a um, uh, Aaron. You brought up like the uh, uh, like that that he's not um, just making direct response. That it's more of like a a with rather than two type preaching thing. That he's considerate of uh, and and like understanding of where both like audiences are coming from in being uh, jaded about the horror genre and where teens are coming from with being jaded about like generational expectations and the sort of moral panic that uh, Harry's brought, brought up earlier, but that he's not being too precious with it, that he's not being uh, too specifically didactic about any of it, that he's, um, he's having fun with the tropes, with the people who like the movie is targeted at with the, you know, incoming generation with, with teens who are graduating with, you know, kids who are just barely able now to see an R rated movie like this. Um, that, uh, that helps me like contextualize some of the, and since we started talking, it's been the concept of, and I feel like I come down to this dichotomy way too often, but like that idea of earnestness versus self parody that keeps popping up, uh, throughout this movie, like, Every time that somebody references a movie directly, I slap my forehead and I think, okay, at least that's over with. But it's a, coming from a very genuine place of like understanding that this is how kids actually do talk about the way, you know, the the cultural references that they have are Friday the 13th, are Nightmare on Elm Street, are, you know, uh, Psycho, et cetera. Like they, he quotes the movie Psycho directly at the end, Skeet Ulrich, and then literally says, Anthony Perkins said that in Psycho. And like, it's very incredibly, if it were more on the nose, you could do a ski jump off of it. Just incredibly, incredibly on the nose. Uh, but it's like from, from a place of great understanding of like the certain, uh, dialogue that has been generated around those movies. And, um, I, I like in my mind while watching the movie, I think that is, that's the greatest source of friction is, are we building a movie that is earnestly scary to me? I don't think so. At least not in 2023 much respect to the way that it changed the way people make horror movies and sort of the visual language and even the like dialogue language um, and the very over the top, uh, very uh, camp stuff that is like talking directly to those tropes that it's using the dropping a TV on the, on, uh, on Stu's head and watching him fry to death. And um, uh, the, the, and I forget uh, uh, Courtney Cox. Is it Courtney Cox from friends? I never really watched friends. Uh, it, and her, uh, 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 cameraman sliding across the top of her truck and her saying, get the hell off of my truck. And like those, those moments of like, we're not trying to elicit uh, a true, like genuine deep emotion with this. We are simply having fun. Aren't we kids? And it, it like, it works in a way I did not, I guess while watching it, that rubs me the wrong way, but in conversation about it in knowing like, this is the balance. This is where we struck with, you know, the intent of the movie and the tools that he uses to get there. I, I think I'm coming around to the idea that it is more of an empathic like statement of a movie rather than uh, look at how much fun we're having with these things we used to have fun with. We're going to reignite that in you. We're like, we're speaking with, with, I, I keep using with rather than two, because I don't think it, like Harry said, it doesn't feel like we're, uh, you know, being we're, we're describing that like, you know, generational uh, moral panic 
um, and like the extension of it and through uh, multiple generations that might be watching this movie and less less about that, more about, um, you know, speaking to like the actual descriptive state of where kids are, how kids are watching those movies, what kind of things I really like the word descriptive as... specifically. I think this is a deeply descriptivist rather than prescriptivist movie. Sure. And I really, really like that. Um, also, just to sort of like, and I, again, like I... Sorry to date myself. I was four years old when this movie came out, so I don't really necessarily know if this is how it was, but I think that its reputation feels this way to me. Like, imagine you're exactly the age these teenagers were, and you went to see this on a Friday night with all your friends, right? It would have been a fucking revolution. It would have been, like, legitimately, like, oh, this guy gets it right? Like capital G, like it feels like a type of teen movie that I've never actually seen, which is a teen movie that is actually for teens that is actually like good Mm. and actually doesn't sort of like feel like an old man trying to make something about for the kids. That's the magic. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that like legitimately everything about this movie feels like it is. I mean, Courtney Cox even makes the joke about how she does best with like males age 11 to 24. Um, fantastic line by the way and then she says and so i must have just missed you because he's 25 uh love so fucking good um but uh it's like i don't know i feel like it's it's it is so interested in being fun and being sort of affirming affirming for its target audience right that that just like i can imagine that if i was 16 years old and i saw this movie in 1996 with my friends it would have changed my life right it would have been like oh like this is what i want every movie to be like this is like it's talking to me it's in conversation with things that matter to me. It's not talking down to me, but it's not trying to teach me something. It's not trying to tell me something I don't know about the world. Instead, it seems really interested in speaking to me and making me feel sort of heard and understood. And I think that like horror at its best, ironically, kind of does that a lot, right? And I think that's why a lot of people feel such catharsis watching horror is because they're like, oh, this is it. It's a movie that doesn't feel like it's like talking down to me or preaching at me. It's It actually is just more interested in like, like validating my feelings. And it's like, I love the idea that like everybody came out of this movie loving Skeet Ulrich and loving uh, Matthew Lillard, even though they're the bad guys, right? Because it's like, everybody's like that in this movie. Like I loved everybody's participation so much. I loved Rose McGowan so much in this. Like I, I must simp, right? Uh, You go online, you look up that like she designed her own wardrobe and dyed her own hair blonde. It makes it even better, right? It's like, I think, um, I don't know if this is apocryphal, right? But uh, like Aaron was saying, I'm pretty, pretty sure that there was a story that Drew Barrymore uh, threatened to drop out unless she could be killed off fast. And that's how the first scene came together. So it's just like the perfect sort of example of like, wow, did they like know what the fuck they were doing when they made this movie? Right. It was like, I feel like every scene does exactly what uh, you want it to and what it wants to. And it's doing all of that. Well, it's doing the like Babe Ruth calling your shot. Right. It's like they they literally throughout the movie are going to be like, all right, Here's what's going to happen next, and this is how you're going to react to it, and this is what it's going to be like. And then that happens, right? Like, there's the whole fucking scene where um, Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich are talking to the fucking video guy, uh, Jamie Kennedy, in the video store, and he literally is like, oh, the dad's a red herring, her boyfriend is the killer, and this is why. And it's just like, oh, okay. Well, and like, I, even having seen never seen this movie before like i knew that that was true and i was just like you son of a bitch like i can't believe that you're doing this scene right now and i can't believe that i'm liking it right instead of finding it tedious and i just think it's because like there's such a fucking joy to this thing i don't know it's just like it's so much fun yeah it it makes me think of 
how like there was some conversation, I think maybe in a behind the scenes thing that I had on before we started recording, but about how like they intentionally tapped into the zeitgeist of the time by casting a few unknowns, a couple of recognizable faces. But a lot of people like they wanted to do that TV thing where TV teen dramas were starting to get popular and started to become like a formulaic thing. And they would pull, you know, attractive young people who uh, like nobody had ever heard of to get like word of mouth interest in it. And they wanted to do some of the same kind of thing here. Uh, it feels like a like a, a smart level of that to that same point i found it like uh, there, a lot has been said about like the uh, sort of it's less of a strong like through current than the more generational stuff and more like how media is consumed but some of the technology on display in the movie i kept thinking about like this first scene would not have happened in the movie from the 80s because cordless phones weren't widely available at the yeah, time. Yeah, dude, they cloned it, his cellular. Everybody keeps talking about how they cloned somebody's cellular. I'm like, so what the fuck funny. are you talking and two, about? two teens are like, we cloned your dad's cellular to kidnap him. Like, insane. But also, like, total like recognizing that on the face of that that's that's a goofy thing we're just going to have it be like the we're going to throw it in as a conversation point and it's going to be like just accept it you know uh but i do very much like and it felt like a junk drawer thought more than anything but i wanted to see if it turns in anything if anybody has any other thoughts about their sort of like technology on display or the way that it's uh consumed or or leveraged but um like that scene couldn't exist without the use of a cordless phone and it's like a direct acknowledgement throughout the movie, the uh, killer is mainly communicating with people, victims usually by calling them, by using the phone freaking, not phone freaking, that's a different thing, but by using the voice changer, as it's later revealed, um, like that I just kept thinking about the movie Black Christmas uh, that Cody and uh, guest uh, on the podcast, uh, Matt Yost, and I talked about a couple of years ago. You'll know that we loved it if you listen to that episode. But I kept thinking about how that movie uses the call is coming from inside the house thing that it sort of originated to like localize, centralize on one spot in the house. There's a limitation. This is almost a room unto itself. You are in a different space when you are in the when you are on the phone, like you are on the phone, but you are also in a specific place and time. Where in this movie, it feels like a certain freeing element. To, like I, I grew up with a cordless phone, never really thought about this, but um, being able to just mail about and it is with you and it is wherever you are. And it is like a, in a way like that movie leverages that feeling toward a, like a, an invasion of privacy. Like he's right next to me. He's with me. I'm not like going to a place to meet him per se. I'm not going to even if it's just a corner of the kitchen where the corded phone would be he's actually following me around the house. He like, he's got his vantage point, but you're not really thinking about that. You're thinking about him, the character as this thing stuck in the phone. I kept thinking like, again, I'm talking about the intro scene as that, but it really like, it sets the tone for me of where cameras or uh, the, the TV that squishes the guy's head or the or videotapes that people review, or, you know, the fact that they're watching Halloween uh, in the final, in the final act. Uh, it really does talk like it speaks to the, uh, decentralization of that technology of the like consumer availability of it as like a an activating force among specifically that generation i mean cordless phones were a thing back in the mid 80s but like a really ubiquitous thing by the time that this movie came about and like the way that kids were leveraging it they like taking it to their rooms or walking around with it constantly accepting calls from people they don't know who admit they don't know them and being weird about it uh, just like a direct Maybe not uh, commentaries in so much as it has anything really to say, but a, a certain leveraging of it as like this is once was a specific discrete private place. It is now like an extension of you as you walk around the house and are freaked out by a guy yeah, who knows and it's, where you it's are. It's another you know? fertile source of horror, right? It's like right, it's right. Ex exploiting a new thing that is scary to people. Exactly. Um, I don't know. Was that an on-ramp for you, Cody? 
Uh, I mean, sort of. I don't know if I have much. Uh, I mean, you characterize that super well. I that there's no way in which I can like disagree with you. It's also that is uh, like. Uh, <sighs> can you tell the difference? Uh, it, it's also a potential like it, it, it's sort of a can of worms as well because you could we we could spend probably hours discussing like the the theory behind leveraging something like a telephone within genre, the black Christmases of the world, like when a stranger calls, um, probably countless others that uh, I'm Sorry, unaware of or I'm number. forgetting. Sorry, wrong number. Oh, hey, an episode, an episode previous, this previous episode. <laughs> I, I literally didn't remember that we did that. It's just like, uh, wow. can we do Laura, by the way? I was just scrolling through Criterion Collection and I got to we Laura did. and I was like, and I was like, did, did I make a fucking podcast? I just about don't this remember movie? Laura. <laughs> it's tough. Two hours yeah, about I don't Laura? know, man. It's getting to be. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the the phone's presence here. Hey, add that to the bulletin board of try love horror phone utilities. Uh, one other thing that struck me while well, can you tell the difference? One other thing that struck me uh, while watching the opening, and I don't I don't think there was any sort of uh, ulterior intent behind this, other than maybe like we're figuring out how to best leverage this uh, form of advancing technology, but the the fact that um Casey's parents then hear her die on the other end of the phone the phone is never hung up that that is a potential other i mean like we don't really i don't know i my memory of the the sequels is a little bit fuzzy cuz i haven't seen those as much as recently but that is that is like introducing that as another potential avenue for like another capability of this particular tool this particular uh, particular oh, yeah, baby. Te- technology is like not only is the the means of your demise on the other end they're more localized they're right next to you you're listening to them it shortens that distance but then also like a sense of passing that along to whoever might be listening on the other end or like i'm sure and again brain farting on these but like on the other end of the phone you like listen to like the sound of your death that's definitely a movie um get at us in the comments uh, or otherwise <laughs> to whatever social media we're on by the it's time this a, episode a really drops. clever use of the technology yeah. that you didn't think about necessarily but now you're always going to be thinking about it mm-hmm. right and like right. There's, there's a sense in which like that's what the best horror does is it sort of like seeps into your unconscious so that like it, those objects become sort of imbued with that idea. Like I think the black Christmas is a perfect example, right? Because like the call is coming from inside the house is such a perfect like nugget, right? Where it's like now, whenever you star 69, somebody or whatever, uh, again, dating myself, you're afraid of hearing the phone go off near you, right? Like it's, it's a thing. It's like definitely like it's become a part of the cultural firmament. Um, and I, I think similarly, that's a really good example. Um, Similarly, I think we we alluded to it briefly, but I would be remiss not to talk about the gay shit in this movie. Um, I really love that it's sort of playing with a uh, horror trope in and of itself, right? Like, I think that, like, the gay people being the evil ones is such a common thing across media that, like people talk about it, right? Have been talking about it openly for years, right? Like, hey, how come all of the Sailor Moon villains are, like, really, really queer-coded? How come all of the Power Rangers villains are really queer-coded, right? Um, I like that this movie plays with that by just making them, like, really weirdly likable anyway. It's like, you sort of, like, in... um in all these horror movies, the uh, the villain ends up becoming the guy you root for for some reason, which is why a long, long enough timeline, um, almost every 
movie slasher villain becomes a kind of hero, right? Like I think Saw X just did that where like Jigsaw is now like this sort of weird holy Avenger. Um, and uh, I, I kind of like playing with this just by being like, hey, like in a slasher movie, like you often root for the slashers. What if the slashers were, were like this adorable, like weird couple of dudes who are clearly in love with each other or at least Matthew Lillard is in love with Skeet Ulrich and like, yes, they're evil, but also like, holy shit, am I going to be thinking about them forever? Uh, especially the point where like Matthew Lillard literally just gets basically stabbed to death by Skeet Ulrich. And then for the entirety of his last scene, while they're carrying out their plan, he's like, as an aside being like, Oh, by the way, like you did stab me a lot and I am dying. <laughs> uh, could, could we have not done that please? Uh, I, I just, I really love that. And I really, I think that it like, there's something liberating uh, again in the, in the sort of like weird slant way that everything in this movie is liberating about having characters who are like very obviously queer coded and likable well being villainous. Right. Like I, you can't not love Matthew Lillard in this movie, right? Like, come on. Like, he's so funny. He's so charming. He's so doofy. He's so, like, a, he's like a weird, like, jock stoner nerd all at once. Um, he's such a great archetypal character. Skeet Ulrich is so great with his fucking glowering and his uh, um, angst. And, I like, it just, I think that, like, it works so well to make them exactly what they are in this movie, which are these, like these sinister forces that are frightening, right. That are sort of like this, um, encapsulation of this idea that, uh, that these kids are becoming psychopaths or whatever, but still having the humor and having the goodwill to be like, yeah, but what if you liked them a lot? <laughs> like, what if they were really fun? And like, you do want to see them get killed obviously and stuff, but like, isn't it fun? Right. I don't know. I just thought, I thought they were so great. And I thought that, that, that queer baiting, if you want to call it, that is so well chosen for this specific kind of movie. Totally. And this will be the last thing that, that I've got kind of kicking around before our last bits, but I, I love that as well. I, I love that, uh, Stu and, um, and Billy Loomis are clearly in love with each other. And I also love how proceeding that this friend group being, and I did a poor job trying to characterize this earlier, but it's it's a friend group and as you uh, like obviously billy loomis is the boyfriend randy meeks jamie kennedy's character is it, it it's gestured at and very much so uh, in the sequel that he's into sydney and then almost as like a, a an offhanded joke Stu's final line is something to the effect of like oh i always i always had a thing for you sid almost, almost like putting a like a a goofy punctuation mark on that like whole i don't know that tropey sort of characterization of just they're high schoolers. Everybody is weird and crude and horny. Um, but the two killers are actually like two dudes who are like very in love with each other. Or Stu is in love with Billy or however you want to frame it. Um, it's, I don't know, it, fun layers that add to this great mess uh, of a finale that is 50 minutes long and takes place at, at the same house. Um, just a really good mixture of things that, I don't know, feels even better over time, I think. What was... I, I the abiding memory of Matthew Lillard, Lillard as Stu in this movie. Your intro quote, I think, Cody, was one of his lines. Was it about being impressionable? Uh, 
Uh, oh, oh yes, yeah, Sid's asking just like uh, says What's something your effective. <laughs> yeah, Bill, Billy has a motive. Yeah, da 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 da. Like, why? What's your motive in all this? It, oh, it, just immediately, it's a peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive, and then he gets the phone <laughs> taken away. I just, I just love how in that scene alone, he's like stumbling around, just bleed. You hear the dripping. The sound, the sound design is great because you hear it splattering against the ground. He's clearly like exsanguinating. He's dying, and, dude. And, he, yeah. and, and, and he's just handed the phone by Billy upside down. He turns around. He's like hello in the softest tone of voice and then eventually when he gets when she gets around asking what her what his motive is he says it in the calmest way possible he's like peer pressure i'm far too sensitive <laughs> and then just like panic again and death just a, a wonderful performance i think that more than almost anything the performances in this movie are what endear me to those characters and what like give them a sense of depth is just i think everybody's firing on all cylinders even like i'm not the biggest fan of drew barrymore i think the first thing i ever saw her in was uh donnie darko and i'm just not i i don't know maybe just not not my particular flavor of, of performance but like even even like the ones that i don't really like even the actors and actresses i'm not normally like drawn to just very captivating in this movie david arquette is probably my favorite single like standout character from this movie because he is just so like they say again very on the nose about it he's he's baby-faced he talks about putting on mass and muscle in order to like be taken more seriously <laughs> around around the station um i also just like man like making him the older brother of rose mcgowan and then have rose having rose mcgowan just like bully and push him around because she's so much more competent and like with it than he is was so funny like that's just such a good character interaction that they play throughout this movie um yeah, I man, all of the characters in this movie are really memorable, I think. Very, very. It's a much larger cast than I had remembered, um, and it does sustain itself on, like, just very memorable, if not incredibly deepening, very memorable interactions. Uh, I, I, I had, I was struck at how, like, much of this movie uh, I had forgotten by the by this time that I that I watched it. Um, that's usually the near the bottom of my barrel is talking about uh, who's in the movie and why uh, we usually like to start a little bit more high minded than that. So I will uh, start to uh, what, what is the term not acquiesce? Uh, is it acquiesce the throne, the microphone for any final thoughts before we get to Are the junk drawer? Seeding the throne. Is See, that what I'm you were looking for? Mm, that's gross. Seeding the throne. Mm. More, more like, uh, oh, come on, come on. a pretty long scream uh any thoughts before we get to the junk drawer anything that we want i'm ready for the drawer baby i i think that we're all ready for the drawer open that drawer it's called the junk drawer it's a section of the podcast where we talk about things that we otherwise couldn't fit into the conversation um mine is going to be it's very low-hanging fruit very funny that jamie kennedy is screaming the name jenny look excuse me jamie look behind you as uh jamie kennedy jamie curtis is being killed on screen or uh, almost Almost do you, killed on screen. Do you get it? Do I, you get it? I, I I see. That's me. I'm just a different kind of audience member. I got it. I saw what they were doing there. I saw that there was double entendre, and I I just like latched right onto it, and I knew it was going to be my junk drawer thought. Um, but that's literally it for me. There's so much that's just on the face of this movie. Hard for me to say. Uh, did you notice this thing, um, Harry? Yo, uh, what was up with the fucking cat garage door? Uh, death in this movie like I I almost wonder if it's like is it like a send up to the idea that that in this movie are in these movies there always has to be one like super weird overly considered over the top um like set piece kill because I I love it to be clear I love I love the fact that uh we had to get like Rose McGowan's head like gooshing against the top uh, of the garage it, look, for just it looks a like, a, like a prop like like her head yeah, just, it's like, just like, like a, you just get to see like the first like 
two frames of a watermelon splitting and then we cut away. Um, apparently, yeah, apparently Wes Craven wanted more of that shot and the um, MPAA was like, nah, dude, you got to cut that shit back, which is why it like cuts so fast. It's like the fastest cut in the movie. Um, thought it was hilarious. I thought like it's so funny that that like we're in a movie where uh, people are constantly talking about the wrong thing to do and Ra- Rose McGowan's character thinks it's a good idea to try to like ram her way through a cat door in a garage. Um, really, really love that that sequence. Um, I just thought that was so funny. Um, I guess that's I'm other than that. I'm, I'm with you, Jason. I have a lot of like, hey, did you see this? Did you see this? But um, man, that was a lot of fun. We've we've got a, a duel for the microphone here between Aaron and I Cody. Got Who's got? Oh, Aaron's got, never mind. I'm doing it. I'm stepping in. He's, uh, uh, Cody is seating like the, the mic. I like when horror movies do the the one final shot at the end that's like a last little jump scare. That this one doesn't even make any sense. It's like no, unless it's I'm just missing totally something. Decontextual. I've never seen that in a movie before. And I feel like really? here it feels like yeah. Here it feels like I don't know. After you've ended your sentence, just like splattering some ink it was very funny but I've never it's seen that before. so i think if you like if you watch it in slow motion is it something because it looked to me just like a white screen just with like a sound it's effect. the entire movie the ghost face oh yeah no it's uh, ghost face he does like he does like and like there's a light i can't tell what ghost face is doing <laughs> bad dog oh, i see <laughs> yeah okay i i literally just saw it as like a kind of a, like a white like Okay, well, yeah, that makes more sense. Then. You gotta I not watch Wes it on Craven your Game Boy just like, player. Just put some fucking sound and fucking visuals here just to scare him. <laughs> just one whatever. We have, an, we have an extra, like, two or four frames. Just throw some shit in there, says Wes. Yeah, I dig it. Throw some shit in there. Uh, you know who's not some shit? Uh, Liev Schreiber, who's in this movie. Uh, oh, boy, the, howdy. The... the I just, I don't think we said that was his name. Wild. The, I was like, the is nar- that Liev Schreiber? <laughs> the very early in his career, uh, Wikipedia says it was a cameo. Like he was in, like he had ninety six seemed like a big year for him. He was in Day Trippers. Uh, he was in Party Girl the year before this, and so like it, it wasn't like his first feature or anything. But in retrospect, it's like holy shit, Liev Schreiber is Cotton Weary. Uh, the narrative gymnastics to like loop in that subplot of the man convicted of killing uh sydney prescott's mother and then using that as basic as like a means of getting her to like question her sanity wild sort of i don't even know if you could call it a red herring because it was so like much to the side and like pretty telegraphed as to what the purpose was but especially again can't be stated enough like the first half of this movie is you know it plays like a movie not that the latter half doesn't but like isolated location we're sort of like handicapped in what we can communicate with the I don't know the the underpinnings and and like narrative consequences uh, and just like characters learning shit uh, in in their small town. Um, that was continues to be like a wild thing that they decided to include and it, we hardly talked about it, hardly left an impression, and yet it, it like it's kind of cool. The movie still rules. I, I just I can't get over that. Liam Schreiber. Um, hope you're doing well big guy he's probably fine truly i hope he's okay uh after ray donovan i was gonna bring up ray donovan too <laughs> why is that what i associate him with it's iconic like, that's fucking ray donovan that's the ray the fixer i will say cotton weary incredible name i would never believe that in real life but really this, good name he it's just a cotton Aaron weary. doesn't seem convinced Cotton Weary, not, not your go- thing? I don't know anything about Ray Donovan. I just Googled Ray Donovan, and I'm now I'm oh, reading. Oh, okay, my mistake. I literally was not aware of the show. You done with RD? 
Start watching. Yeah, you, you got to bone up on I, your RV, dude. Going to. I Keep just watching. would like to know what it is. Uh, watch Ray Donovan as the last note in the junk drawer. Uh, We're all big Ray Donovan fans here. <laughs> what, if we got, what if we all got really into Ray Donovan all of a sudden? As a bit. We're transitioning this podcast to a Ray Donovan it's, podcast. It's a sub-podcast yeah. within the Trilove podcast, uh, Ray Love. Thank you Just, for that. Yeah, let me let me know the episodes where Leo Schreiber becomes particularly unhinged, like uh, like Ray Donovan becomes Cray Donovan or something. Send me the Cray Donovan <laughs> episodes. I'll watch those. I don't know if I can commit to the full series. S1E1, uh, baby. Please continue, Jason. <laughs> Thank you for your suggestions for the junk drawer. Uh, we have another uh, penultimate, well, actually one penultimate segment uh, that I like to call Good grief. Give Me a GIF. It's where I ask the group for suggestions for imagery to throw along the alongside the Twitter uh, post for this episode. Maybe eventually Blue Sky. I haven't secured anything for Trilove, so don't go scooping it anybody any any of our rabid listeners um i personally don't have any specific uh i i'm not putting more work on my plate because i'm already two episodes behind on this bit uh little you know peek behind the curtain for you uh but i'll ask the group if they have any specific shots they want to see this uh movie go out on twitter excuse me episode go out on twitter with i'm gonna jump in first you uh, see that mike i, I don't i I did not note down when in the exactly in the film says so apologies, but I think it's when the principal is murdered. There's a shot of his eye, and you can see Ghostface reflected in his eye, like hovering over him. That's a good shot. That's a good one. It's not really funny. Maybe we should have a funny one, but I like that one. I can make Ghostface like it can put a little tongue in his mouth or something like that. He's going ah. Wait, he can go like what? He can go like. Ah, that's the one. Uh, I also have a, a, a two suggestions. One also from uh, just before the principal got murdered and Max does the dumb, just like instead of giving you what time you're at, it shows you how much time is left. So mm-hmm. doing the math, roughly 50, uh, 50 or 51 minutes in, Jason, when, uh, when Henry Winkler is doing that, uh, he's doing some mirror stuff. He has the mask on and he's doing just like, Rah! and then here's a noise behind him. He quickly takes off the mask turns around uh and just henry winkler deadpan that was really funny um and then the other one being at roughly hour 29 it was um th- that sort of like frantic screaming uh, i was trying to characterize earlier this uh is particularly or specifically rather when Stu and randy find their way back to the house they're like confronting Sydney, who's also like, she's backing up. They're kind of pressuring her. She's like making her way up the stoop. She's got a gun and they're the two, the two fellas. It's like cross cutting between the boys and then Sydney, who's like frazzled and where, and then it culminates, doesn't really culminate, but like the, in my mind, the one that it would end on is Matthew Lillard, like holding out his hands to the audience, like asking for the gun Um, or just, I I like that build up. It's like, funny because they're scared and you're pointing fingers at each other uh and also i can't have a, a gif candidate that doesn't have uh, i need at least one with matthew lillard in it that seems True. True. um it, it would seem sacrilegious to, to not but those are those are my suggestions aaron's had his hand up for like five full minutes it's episode 247 dog good job uh all right i've only got one it's uh just when um nev campbell's character opens the door and david arquette for whatever reason decided it was a good idea to hold the mask up like 
so that it, when she opens the door, it looks like Goatface face is there. And then she screams, and then he pulls the mask away and screams himself. That was a really funny moment. Um, I think that would make for a pretty good gif. Did you do it again, Aaron? You bitch. You son of a you son of a bitch. <clears throat> then we have one final segment that we like to call uh, something that I can't say by myself. Actually, it's a, it's a phrase I'm not allowed to utter on my own. Uh, but let me close this. Uh, Good grief! Give me a gift segment real quick. I'm sorry, I'm all out of sorts. Aaron really threw me off. Now he's taking my whole scruffly hair look. He's throwing his hair back. I have no idea what I what what, <laughs> what kind of shit are you on, dog? Yeah, having 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 oh, the first me- messy, unkempt hair. hair. Oh, Jason Daft. Never before has anybody else had scruffy hair. The, his thing. the Greeks the Greeks invented scruffy hair. The Greeks invented no, hair. They didn't. Don't fact check me. Okay, I, then I'm wrong. <laughs> The Greeks invented uh, body hair, maybe. <laughs> ooh, because they're uh, smelly and hairy people <laughs> as an entire culture. Thank you so much for your recommendations, y'all. I'll pull those um, eventually. Uh, Harry, you want to help me sound in our final segment? Yep, it's the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you, fellas. That introduction was really scary. Today, I'd like to bring back uh, a little something that uh, we first explored during our episode about the conformist. Uh, maybe check that out uh, if you feel so inclined. Watch the conformist also. Uh, not a hot take. The this, irony uh, of telling that- somebody to watch the conformist. I will not conform. Yeah, uh, and I I might conform to muting my mic while the sirens are playing in the background, or I'll just talk over it because the this joke is live funny. TV. Yeah, exactly. I can't stop now. Uh, can't go out on top. That would be too easy. Uh, this uh, IMDb tool uh, that we uh, dabbled with uh, during that that episode it allows us to pick two titles, uh, determine how many members of cast and crew. Uh, are shared between the two films that you put in. Uh, and since Scream has such a, a star-studded cast, I figured that might make for a fun exploration. Maybe we'll see. Uh, and now usually, you know, of course, this is the noties, but let's just cut right to it. The noties are just a means of wrapping up the episode. Uh, you know, ultimately, however, just dragging it uh, along, stretching that runtime, really, really beefing that up. Um, you know, well, today, you know, we're using Scream as a launch pad. We're, we're trying to get as many familiar uh, faces between these movies as possible, all in the name of elongating uh, this this precious uh, podcast episode of ours. I guess this uh, that makes this rather some kind of most face filler. Oh my! I may have pulled a muscle <laughs> on that stretch. I'm getting some mixed reviews, uh, but just because something gets mixed reviews upon release doesn't mean that it doesn't have a long-lasting legacy. I'll be getting royalty checks for episode, what is this, 247 for the rest of my life. I'm going to list off pairings of movies. Y'all will give me your guess for how many members of cast and crew the two films have in common between them. Uh, We're going to score it. Uh, based like golf. So I'm, I, you'll be scored based off of how far off you are with your guesses. I'll add up the differences. That'll be your score, golf, and that the lower the score, the better, because it means that you were overall closest with your guesses as we go. Uh, so we use the um, the spinner wheel, which is really just an us thing. I don't know why I keep invoking that. Listeners can't see the wheel that is being spun, um, but we're using the wheel. I already said it. You so, know what? I'll, uh, pull, I'll pull a sound effect uh, that is like the wheel of fortune. Really? I mean, I, I would like to. I like the, I'm an sure. ideas man rather than an executor, um, but imagine that it's there now. What did it land on? 
Yeah, you could just clip that and use that. That wasn't. I can't do like ton <laughs> tongue rolly stuff. Uh, trivia mafia rules apply here. Use your noodles, not your googles. Let's jump in. Our first pair: Nev Campbell's Scream and Nev Campbell's 2018's Skyscraper, co-starring Dwayne Johnson. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, so, how many cast and crew do these two movies share between them? I'm gonna get the spinner wheel up and we have landed on jason first so jason what is your guess i'm gonna say eight in common including ms nev campbell eight in common. yes yes so because i'm using actors to map these together spoilers you're always gonna have at least one so so eight says jason right said fred and next is gotta get a new person here we got Harry, Harry, your guess is next. How many shared members of cast and crew? I'll go with six, Cody. Harry is going with six. And finally, Aaron, how many you thinking? I have no idea. I'm going to go. That's the idea. Five. All right. Aaron is going. You had the chance to just say like seven and box us both and, and take any upper limit, but instead you put yourself right between. I'm impressed. Uh, the, sp- uh. Yeah, the, the space between guesses. Dave Matthews might have an opinion on that, but the uh, so the total number is three. Three shared members of cast and crew. So um, Aaron picking up uh, two points, difference of two. He gets two points. Harry, difference of three. I right, forgot three. what I guessed and also yeah. what Jason yes. guessed. I, yeah. Okay, I was confused. I was like, did I miss a rule here? No, okay, I thought right. I said four and Jason said six, but that's not what it was. You said seven. Yeah, okay. J- yeah, yeah. yeah, Jason said eight and so gets okay. five. Uh, those three individuals, I won't list them all because, you know, I, that'll just – well, I guess we want to stretch this out. I just didn't think to take all the names. Nev Campbell, uh, Scotty uh, Goodrow, uh, with the, he does transportation department stuff. And, um, oh, this one individual – who has done uh, music like uh, mixing for nearly 200 movies. The name Opie Grooves. What? Oh, Opie that guy Grooves. gets laid so much. Opie you just Grooves, know that baby. guy crushes. He slashed. Yeah. Yeah. I want to yeah. be Opie Grooves so bad, dude. Oh my Opie God. Grooves. Uh, yeah, dude's like a, a porn star for for sound mixing or music mixing i guess i i don't know so this is why we do this folks shouting out the folks who don't always get that recognition uh but i know nothing else about opie grooves hopefully he uh he doesn't suck our second pair we have uh matthew lillard's 2002's scooby-doo and matthew lillard's hackers hey previous episode i will go ahead and spin the wheel we are going to land on harry first harry what's your guess um I'm going to go with two. Harry is going with two. Locking that in. Next up, we will have Aaron Grossman Esquire. Or he's not Esquire yet. Uh, Aaron, what's your guess? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump up. I'm going to go seven. Aaron is going seven. What are you going to do, Jason? What are you going to do with all that junk inside the trunk, Jason? You should issue a guess first. Um, am I am I allowed to ask Ansel, or excuse me, uh, extenuating information like the release no. year of Hackers? No. Um, no. 
Okay. Please. No. It, it sounds like Scooby-Doo sounds like came out in 2002. You know that because it rhymes. Just, Scooby-Doo at 2002. Just, you Actually, could just ask questions about Scooby-Doo no matter the question. <laughs> yeah. So the five main characters, there's Fred, Velma, Daphne, uh, Scooby, and Shaggy, played by Matthew Lillard. Ooh, cute. Who's also in Scream, 1996. Ah, uh, yes. And also in Hackers, uh, 1990. What was it? Uh, no. I'm going to guess that it was uh, 95. I'm going to say that there is more bleed than we think. I'm going to say 12 people are shared in common between cast, crew, and Matthew Littered. Matthew Littered. I hope he didn't himself. Defu Bibbard. All right. So I'm locking in 12. The actual number is uh, is two. We have Matthew Lillard Fuck. and Keith Roberts, who's done uh, visual effects work in movies. Um, so Aaron, the old KR, get, baby. That's, yeah, the, the very same. KR, shout outs to you, Mr. Roberts. I don't know. Aaron's shaking his head at everything I say now, so I don't really know what to take from any of this. But Aaron got five points. Uh, Harry got it dead on, so no points gained for that question. And then uh, Jason tacked on 10. The scores across the board, uh, Harry has the lowest score currently with three, which is a good thing. Again, golf rules. Um, I'm not saying golf rules. It's just like, yeah, golf is amazing, but these are just golf rules uh, to avoid any confusion. Aaron has seven points. Jason has 15. Still uh, very much anybody's game as we head into our third pair, and that is going to be Courtney Cox's Ace Ventura Pet Detective and Courtney Cox's 2005's The Longest Yard remake starring Adam Sandman Sandler, the Sandman, excuse me. Um, So our first guess for this is going to be Harry. Harry, what do you think? Sorry, what was the first movie? Oh, the first movie. uh, I can't give any extenuating information. No, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with um, four, please. Thank you. Harry is going with four, locking it in, moving along to the next person who we'll know in just a couple seconds. It's Aaron. Aaron, what's your guess? We're do so if I'm under, it's points away from the target, right? It's I'm taking the absolute value, so just how many yeah, okay, like it's it's okay. positive. Yeah. All right, look at stats fucking person over here. All right. Uh absolute value. Forgot what that was, asshole. Um no, uh <laughs> I'm gonna go. What did Harry, what, what did Harry just asshole. guess? Harry just uh, Harry guessed, guessed uh, four. Harry um, guessed four. I'll go three. Aaron is going P. No, he did that before we started recording. And Jason, over to you for your guess. I'm going to keep it up. I'm going to go 10. Jason. I have a really misguided idea of how many people actually work on movies. <laughs> It's usually Jason. Uh, Jason does not know like how golf works. To, to be clear, <laughs> uh, and I don't. That's uh, purely optional. Uh, I'll admit it helps for reasons like this today. Uh, so the commonalities between these two films, cast and crew wise, uh, it's five. We have Courtney Cox, of course, and then four various members of the production team. A lot of different roles. It was a lot to list because everybody was doing something a little bit different. But five total shared members of uh, of the crew, or plus Courtney Cox. Uh, so that gets us to let's see. Aaron got two points for that question, which moves him up to nine total. Harry got a point for that, which moves him up to four. Uh, and Jason got five points for that, moves him up to twenty. So Harry with four, Aaron with nine, Jason with twenty. We've got two more pairs here. Uh, a lot can happen before the end of the game uh fourth pair jamie kennedy's boz lerman's romeo plus juliet uh and jamie kennedy's harold and kumar go to white castle 
I feel like I'm, I'm losing IQ points uh, the more I say these names. I take that back. I, I, there's a time and a place for Harold and Kumar. Jason, you're our first guest. What do you think? Uh, it is nine, nine shared. Nine shared. Marking it down, doing some math uh, already, and going along. Who else am I going to do math for today? It is Aaron, uh, who provides a lot of absolute value to this podcast. Thank Aaron? you. Can I can I ask uh, before just uh, there's one remaining after this? Did you consider because I think Harry maybe has this in the bag? Maybe uh, if he keeps playing conservative, did you consider doing a movie and then a sequel? Because that would ooh that would fuck shit up. You hmm. know what I mean? Uh, Just, I've considered a, a lot of things, and I'll leave it at okay. that. So you're you're critiquing now the construction I'm of Cody's notice questions. That, that is maybe because the only thing that winning. could save me from losing at this point. That is not a critique of the game. That is a critique of my own playing. I'm going to go with three. Aaron is going with three, and Harry, Mr. Conservative, as they call him. What's yeah, your guess? That's what they call me because of my <laughs> politics. Uh, I'm going to go with four. Harry is going with for uh, the actual retail price of the shared cast and crew between these two. It's one and it's Jamie Kennedy. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself. I did not say those words in that order. So the uh, updated scoreboard uh, as it currently reads um, first place, Harry, uh, who got three points that time, bumps him up to seven. Uh, Aaron garnered two points, bumps him up to 11. Jason picked up eight points, bumps him up to 28. As we head into our fifth and final pair of the day, we have Lee of Schreiber's The French Dispatch and Lee of Schreiber's Asteroid City. So oh, what are these shares? Oh, there, no. we, there, we, there we go. Cody, I cooking with you, gas. my man. Cody, I understand. First Ooh. guess is Jason. Fuck. Jason, what do 62. you think? <laughs> I'm going 22 people. Jason is going 22. You think it's groups. higher? We're talking sound yeah, I mean, makers. We're talking. Well, uh, yeah. Are we keeping it keeping it at twenty two? We're no, keeping no, it at twenty two, so I can have a clean fifty <laughs> by the end of this round if I lose. Alrighty, alrighty, locking you in. The next person to guess is as follows: It is Harry Mackin. Going to go with uh, twenty eight, Cody. Harry is going twenty eight. Locking it in. And that just leaves one man named Aaron. Yeah. Aaron, what do you think? What are the what are the constraints of the type of people that that can anybody anybody credited as cast and crew on IMDb? Cast and crew. I've been I've been saying cast and crew, uh, cast and crew. I've, I've, this is why I wish I would ever look at. I've never literally never look at IMDb. I don't know how extensive that is. I assume pretty. Um, so many people make movies, man. I don't know. Um. Harry guess 28. I'm going to guess uh, I'm going to go yeah, I'll go higher even though that, that seems absurd. I'll go 34. Hell yeah. That seems 34. silly now that I think of Look, you got fucking boom mic opera. There's aren't listed, right? On IMDb. Uh, I just definitely Google Wes this Anderson real bad. actually uh, famously had a temper tantrum and never worked with anybody who worked on French Dispatch with again, except for Lee Schreiber. So the answer here is going to be one. Yes, there's one. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, "Fuck everybody Jason, except you. Jason leave. You did fine. Leave." Yeah. The 
the IMDb sanction number. You know what? Before I get to that, just to we're going to go to commercial break. No, uh, I'll just to get ahead of it. Thank you. This has been Most Face Filler, the final certified by IMDb stamp of approval number of shared members of cast and crew between the French Dispatch and Asteroid City is 124 individuals. Shitting Christ. So let's uh, going going uh, from. Uh, we'll do third to first here. Um, going into the last round, third to first. So Jason came in with twenty-eight. Guess twenty-two. Uh, difference of a hundred and two, which bumped him up to one thirty. <laughs> That's where he's at. Uh, Aaron came in uh to the last round in second place. Came in with eleven points. Guess thirty-four. Difference of ninety. So tack that on to eleven. Puts him at one hundred one. Harry came into the last round with seven. Guess twenty-eight. Difference of ninety-six which puts him up to 103. So Aaron squeaks out a victory by two points. Uh, You know, honestly, feels like checking my math. Don't do it. Nobody deserves to win this, but Aaron deserved it most because he was like, that was the only substantive, like, like we could have known that, like we could have known that last one. We're talking, if we had any understanding of how movies are made. We're talking boom mic operators. We're talking caterers. We're talking yeah, but again, we're you were seventy janitors. something up. We're talking off, dude. fluffers. We're talking. Look, I'm hmm. just saying. This is a whole lot of people. You know, that go into making films, and then that's not even. There's 37 of those were actors. You know, you just those, a guy likes working those, with the that same 70 man people. team that makes all the meals in all of the Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> yeah, just a uh, yeah. It's just, just all they do actually. They're like a very twee catering company, and they're they're only employed for this one thing. There's, there's one guy that that has the tweezers that places the little garnishes on top of each <laughs> catered meal. Yeah, uh, look, you know, uh, did I maybe get a little lucky at this one? Yes. Am I still the best? Of course, no question. That's it. Uh, that Aaron was needs deep- to cringe at the Nodi's titles more often. He's two for two in the last two weeks, being vocally just like, no, no. And he pulls out the dubs. I I got to hand it to him. I got to respect the hustle. You correlation, not anyway, causation, to, but you I got to hand it to him. Yeah. You just said correlation, not causation to the stats major. Uh, t- take a fucking seat, man. No, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I, I I'm yes and not to react. Him. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I'm being humble here. We we need my Cody victory in this is podcast. independent of such factors, you know. Hmm. Uh, well, thank you so much, Cody, for ending our episodes. Always on such a wonderful note. I actually did quite like that one. We should bring that back. That uh, I don't know what the name it's going to take the next time, but two episodes not enough for that bit. It's a good bit. Um, I want to direct the listeners' attention to two pieces on Parisphere.org uh, about those mo- this movie that played at the trial on. Uh, you can't get rid of the telephone by Shelley Riddow. I. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. Shelly Ridio, Ridio, um, for Parasphere, the Trilon blog. And it's all just one big movie. I always had a thing for you, Scream, by Jake Rudiger, who also designed uh, the poster that accompanied the playing of this movie at the Trilon. Um, in the same weekend as Scream, they also played Scream 2 and Cure. We have an episode about Cure. I'll link that in the show notes too, but check it out if you ever check out that movie. Uh, well reviewed by everybody I, who I know. Who's yeah, that movie's really, it. really fucking good. So it's if you haven't really, seen really it, you should definitely see that movie. <laughs> it was one of the movies that I think has sustained my interest in horror for a long time because I have a new sort of like, uh, uh, what's the uh, new benchmark, new milestone, new like understanding. Great movie, great discussion. Uh, go, ch- go back and check it out and watch it wherever it's available i think it's got a criterion now check it out 
And check us out on Twitter at TryLovePodcast. Check the Trilon out at Trilon.org and at Trilon Cinema across a couple of different social media outlets. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter and a couple other places at Nintendo. I'm there everywhere. Um, I'm always there. Uh, you will never get rid of me. Ooh, threatening. I love it. And uh, I, I like a challenge. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. I've been Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. Name's Aaron. Cody's Noe's champion once again on Blue Sky at RB Please. <laughs> now I just thought about what you did last episode where you went, hey, Cody's Noe's champion. Ah! <laughs> just completely broke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I got to get it together. Like a Dean scream <laughs> sort of thing. I should, yeah. <laughs> you were like, <laughs> you, you were doing a fucking King Push. You were like, ah! <laughs> just clearing phlegm yeah sorry cody go ahead <clears throat> yeah no so that thank you for vamping i need i needed a moment <clears throat> you make me so sick your entire havoc inducing thieving whoring generation disgusts me so two of your fellow students just savagely murdered and this is the way that you show your compassionate sensitivity huh fairness would be to rip your insides out, hang you from a tree so we could expose you for the heartless, desensitized little shits that you are. Let me tell you something. You're both expelled. Get out.